really an all hands on deck approach. So I still do that stuff. There were times where I had to sell merch and I was the only one working. There was a ton of people online. And then I have three minutes to gather myself and get on stage. That's the thing is you got to be a team player. My job there is to make Charlie's life easier and whatever he needs. I am very aware that they are there to see him. All this show is centered around him and he pulls his weight as much or more than anybody. It's really good to have moments where you're not completely just thinking about yourself. I need some more of those where I'm just, what's in it for me? I try not to always behave that way. <laughs> wonderful. Sounds like you guys have this wonderful, beautiful, dynamic relations. I have encouraged that he and I go to couples therapy at some point just for fun. <laughs> yeah. He's not willing. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. My name is Paul Vato, and this is Paul Vato Presents. And today, my very special guest is Andrew Rafi, who's an actor, he's an improviser, he's a writer, he's a stand-up comedian, touring the country, doing comedy off and on. Please put your hands together and welcome Mr. Andrew Rafi. Thanks for everyone that's here and anyone that's popping in. Andrew, occasionally you might hear some sound effects, some laughing and whatnot from our audience members. If that bothers us, we can always remove it. But welcome to Fireside and thank you so thank much for... I'm not used to the laughter, so please be sparse with it. <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about it. We don't have a lot of people in the audience yet, but which you might also be used to. I don't know. Let me start out with the most important question. Why are you gay, Paul? I ask myself that every morning, and the answer is just for attention. You know what? That's what I thought, and I'm sorry that we're a little late for Pride Month. I really want to have you on and quite work out. I've been really enjoying the corporations fleeing from their pride right back into the closet. It's like all that like pride gear that they probably didn't sell, they're probably sending it to countries where they will kill you for being gay. Am I going to freeze to death or... Am I going to be killed for wearing a shirt that says non-binary gay, something a Target would sell in San Francisco or something? Do you think that all that clothing has ended up in countries that just need clothing? Absolutely. That and uh, Boston Celtics championship gear. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy day and popping into Paul Watto Presents. Who is Andrew Rafi? Please tell us a little bit about yourself, Andrew. I grew up in Chicago. I'm back here now. I've lived in Los Angeles for 13 years. I've been an actor and a writer for a really long time. I got in the stand-up a few years back. Just been making a lot of content, teaming up with some really cool people. Charlie Barron's is who I tour with and collaborate with a lot, who has this massive following now. Gosh, I think on social media, if you combine it, it's, I don't know, over five or six million, maybe. I just a few months ago surpassed the one million subscribers on YouTube. We got this big fancy plaque, which was cool. So Charlie and I have worked together now over five years and it's been amazing. I met him when my career was in the toilet and we found a way to work together. It's like luck and timing and it was just in the cosmos. Did you reach out to him or did he find you? Or I was not to him. I had a t-shirt company, which I don't suggest having. Having a t-shirt company is having a marketing company that just sells shirts. You got to be a real hustler. And at that time, I wasn't. I wanted him to wear this one t-shirt. He had just done his first Manitowoc Minute. I had just been 
a writer on this movie called Purpose Over Prison, which was written and directed by a good friend of mine named Romani Malko, who's on A Million Little Things. It's most well-known for being in The 40-Year-Old Virgin or Baby Mama or Weeds, Think Like a Man, ton of those movies. Romney and I met on the set of Think Like a Man. I was an actor in that. And so we work on that and that stars him and Regina Hall. So I just mentioned to Charlie, I'd come up for working with that. And if you ever wanted to get together and talk about ideas, a few months into like occasionally meeting for coffee and discussing ideas, he asked me, I wasn't even a stand-up at this point. He was like, I need a producer to come on the road with me. And do you want to do it? I wanted to tell him no, because I had no idea how to do that of that just terrified me, but I was like, your career's going nowhere. You got to start saying yes to different opportunities and see where it goes. And thankfully I did. We'd have these long car rides in a 14 seater van because he's one of 12 kids. So we took the family van because we had so much merch and I would just crack him up and we'd talk about jokes. I know you wanted to do this forever. And that's true. I always wanted to do stand up. So you got to go to Mike's, get five minutes. And I'll start giving you some spots. That turned into, I'll do 25 now and feature for him. I write almost every single day. The second I did it, I just fell in love. I was like, oh, okay. This is what I'm supposed to be doing my whole life. I started really late. I started in my mid thirties, which for a comic is like ancient. I've been really blessed to have some incredible opportunities and just capitalize whenever I could. I've been really lucky. He's a really big champion of mine. That's amazing. That's wonderful. When did you study at the Second City? How old were you when you got into improv? And do you think that affected your ability to learn and excel at stand-up? Yeah. So many of my heroes are Second City alum, and that was the place to be. I actually was an intern there in my sophomore year of college. I worked for a couple of producers there, like helping transcribe shows and getting lunch and just doing whatever. And then I started taking classes a couple years later. I was in my late teens, early 20s when I started. I just started in the beginner classes. I did A through E maybe or whatever it was. Then I auditioned for the conservatory and I got in. And then that was a couple of years. We are doing shows between 2007, 2008. I think from my cast, I'm definitely the only one who moved to LA. I think I might be the only one still pursuing comedy. That doesn't reflect really well on our shows. <laughs> We're literally seen by dozens of people. <laughs> because in the 1900s, when I was at the Second City studying there and doing our show, Touched by an Anglo up at Donnie's Skybox. This would have been like 98, maybe 99. Right before I moved to LA, I feel like a lot of people that were there at the main stage and ETC, they definitely are still pursuing comedy. The people that I did the conservatory with, there's maybe just one or two that are still in the business, if you will. So, who was on the main stage when you were there? The only one I can recall, because we were friendly, was Antoine McKay. Do you think that then having this improv background has then helped you transition into stand-up? Because that's something that I've always have wanted to do. And the reason I got into improv was I went to Improv Olympic by mistake. Improv oh, Olympic, rest in peace. Because I didn't know the difference between stand-up and improv. The internet was just starting to come around, so it's not like I could do research. But it was great to have it in my backyard. I grew up in Aurora. I had an... Oberweiss Dairy of Geneva and Geneva, Illinois. I was able to drive into Chicago and study improv. I didn't know the difference between stand-up and improv. But so do you feel that 
knowing improv and having studied improv has helped your stand up? 100% because so much of improvisation, most of it is this listening, being able to read a crowd is a really important skill that one, I'm still very new at that crowd in a lot of ways can be your scene partner. There's so many different factors with a crowd, depending on size and what time it is, what time the show is. And when you go on, it's definitely been a huge thing. And also the experience of second city and just creating sketches and sketch writing. That's where it really started for me. I love your work with Charlie. I think the last one that I saw, you were, I don't know if you were coming out of the closet as a vegan, maybe. Oh, yeah, and I was less coming out. Yeah, we wrote that one a couple of years ago and we were just never able to do it. It started as a long form and I'm really glad we cut it to a short form. That's been one of the biggest videos I've ever been a part of. Yeah, I wrote that one a couple of years ago. It just, and it's, is like a sketch writer, like it's one of the few times where like lightning was coming out of my fingertips. I was like, it's just never clipped so fast. I wish it was always like that. Although Charlie did write the line, it's Adam and cheese, not Adam and peas. It's very important these days to give straight white men their credit, as you know. hundred percent, obviously. I don't even remember how it came when I was even thinking about it's done really well, like almost a million views on Facebook reels. On Instagram, it's like 800,000. TikTok's one and a half million. YouTube, one and a half million. And then as a goof, I posted it on the funny subreddit. And in less than a day, it's two and a half million views. It like blew up on Reddit. It was crazy. I was never expecting that. For the most part, people have been very kind. The one sort of trolling comment I get is there's no way a vegan could be fat. Which I'm actually not a vegan. I was a vegetarian years ago for a while, but it's very easy to be a fat vegan. I guess people in the Midwest think like vegans just like roam around and eat grass like they're prairie deers. I don't know what they think vegans eat. You know, you can eat like all sorts of vegan desserts and chips and beer and candy and the pasta and different pizza, like vegan pizza. It's not hard at all. I think. Lizzo, God love her. I'm a huge fan of Lizzo and I love everything about her. I'm pretty sure she's a vegan and she's like the poster child for being like full figured and big. So yeah, I just thought that was weird. Thankfully, Charlie looks a little bit like Jeffrey Dahmer. So he gets that occasionally. That's the only trolling comments he seems to get. Charlie has a very interesting mix audience wise, politically on the left and on the very far right. And I don't know what this means, but I get people all the time after shows or comments like, I'm a right-wing Republican, I love Donald Trump, and I really love your comedy. And it's very flattering. I don't discuss politics in stand-up. Things that are really divisive, people don't want to hear that. I try and really stay away from those topics just because I don't think I have anything all that interesting to say. I'm disenfranchised with both political parties at the moment. I really just try to have fun. I talk about being Jewish. I talk about being gay. I do get some hate mail about that stuff every now and again. This one woman, she sent Charlie's manager a letter and asked for Charlie to call her up to talk about my set and that I needed to be fired. When I tell you I am maybe a PG-13 comic, pretty PG. And as far as a gay comic goes, I am like vanilla G-rated. I don't know what they hear. It used to really bother me. And now I'm just like, eh, it's just them. It's not me. Did you, did you convince Charlie to give her a call? 
<laughs> we were thinking about it. Another comic, a friend, Bill Doucette from Boston, who uses a lot of videos with Boston, who people think Bill and I are the exact same person. I also get that with Miles, you betcha. People think we're always the same person. I don't really think we look that much alike, but Bill really wanted a call. And I was like, nah, forget it. But I don't know. It would have been fun. But I think at the end of the day, we can make Charlie look bad. And so I just leave it alone. Who needs to give her that attention? Let it go. And it's not the comedy. It's not what you've written. And it's a shame because it's, that's exactly what it should be based on. Granted, this right-wing Republican is saying, wow, I'm this, but yet I love your comedy because it's funny. Funny is funny. I don't come in with like my quote unquote gay agenda where I'm like trying to tell people how they should think. The sort of the crux, the sort of thesis of my gay stand-up is I have a joke about how I could be a training wheels gay for a homophobe. Like I'm a very safe and non-threatening gay person. It'd be very hard for them to meet a drag queen maybe, but like I love sports. I support our troops. I'm politically moderate. Like I'm the gateway gay. I think that people just see a voice that might be similar to theirs and they're like, oh, okay, I can understand this better. So yeah, I'm really honored. But like, there are also like super woke people on the left who do not like me at all. I'm not gay enough for them. I'm not down enough with their woke agenda. There was this one girl, a very militant lesbian at a show in Washington state, maybe Spokane. She was like with me throughout everything. And then I talked about just like, I'd made some off color not, or just off the cuff remark about like how woke people were bugging me. She did not smile for the rest of the show. She was done with me. That was fine. Whatever. The very far left and the very far right. The two things they think they both are hating me and dogs. Well, you definitely put the gay in gateway. So that old rule. Is anybody watching this right now or am I just, I don't mind. I like talking to you. I'll sit here and talk to you all night. So does anybody care? I think they do. We have Woody in the audience. We have Steven in the audience, but really I use this platform to record the show. Uh, and it's also being simulcast on Twitch and YouTube. So there may be a few people over there watching, but realistically I use it uh, as a platform to record it. And then I will do a little bit of editing, not too much, and then put it up as a proper podcast on Anchor, which is Spotify, but then it goes out to all the podcasting platforms. I think all those parents feeling from 20 years ago who are on their kids for playing video games all the time. And now those parents would be set for life if they would have let their kids play more video games instead of doing their homework. They'd be on Twitch making millions of dollars and instead they have to work it. I don't know. Walmart. I won't say a company because then people will be like, I work there. You have to work in corporate America eat their lives. That's so right. Because even in the COVID times where before they're like 20 years ago, what are you guys doing on your computer? Go outside. Now it's what are you doing outside? Get inside, get on your computer and play. It's such a great premise for sketch. That's so true. You're never going to make it in the major league. So you better start coding right now. Start coding. These kids that are playing esports, my goodness, getting million dollar deals. And you're right. Or you're just sitting at home playing and, and streaming it on Twitch and getting millions of views and getting thousands of dollars. It's insane. What's the world become? A friend of mine who he made a fortune in the toy business during sort of the 80s and 90s, he now owns some e giant esports team. I don't understand that world at all. He tells me about it sometimes. He owns it with one of the guys who owns the Dodgers. Like, serious. It is like owning the Bulls or the Cubs. I mean, it's that 
intense. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The industry has just exploded and there's always opportunities to invest in teams. Here in Vegas, I'm in Vegas right now. There's an esports arena that's hosting things. I'm probably going to have a few of the guys from Vegas Inferno on the podcast, hopefully soon. It's insane. The whole industry has just exploded and it's just virtual. Maybe we are living in a matrix. I don't know. Seriously. That movie, what's the Mike Judge movie? Yeah. 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 I swear that movie, it's like becoming a documentary before our very eyes. It really is. You know what? I don't think it hit when it first came out, but it really has withstood the test of time. And like I said, it's becoming a dialogue. I had a big Citric on and Citric played the minister of defense in that movie. And I'm friends with Anthony Campos is his name. And he's in the movie Idiocracy. And it has just become such a statement on, on the state of society, the dumbing down of society, people waiting to have kids because they're not ready. And then all of a sudden it's too late. And the, and the dumbest people are having kids. So no offense if you have kids. It's not our fault. You're stupid. I'll get asked what's the hardest part about writing a joke. Honestly, I think the hardest part is having a joke be universally understood. Really eye-opening how little a lot of people know. And I'm not saying, you know, got to be watching PBS every night and Crossfire on CNN and know the ins and outs of local politics, but it's like really basic things that I just am shocked. And this is not left or right. This is just generally that people just do not know things. It's sad because then the discourse becomes mean and toxic and personal instead of just having healthy debate. I love having a healthy debate in terms of politics, which doesn't get personal or ugly. It's just people sharing their opinions and back and forth. You don't ever want to sit next to me on an airplane is what I'm saying, Paul, because even if like people have their headphones, I'm like, Hey, what do you think about what's going on right now? 2022 election. He's I'm really trying to sleep. Wake up. <laughs> Insufferable. You're right. <laughs> Greetings, my Vatos Locos, and welcome to another episode of Paul Vato Presents. I want to sincerely thank you for tuning in. People have been asking what they can do to help support our program. And well, the easiest way is to just head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a like, give us a follow, maybe leave us a review. Also, maybe head on over to Spotify and do the same thing. We're on all the podcasting platforms. So give us a like, give us a follow, share it with your friends. You can also head on over to paulvato.com. And from there, you can follow us across all social media. There's also a link to our Patreon. So for $3, less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help support our program and it would be really appreciated. So thank you for your time. And now back to Paul Votto Presents with our very special guest. Thank you. Right. You have to have somewhat of a high reference level to understand the jokes a lot of times. That's what I think makes jokes successful is when people are able to connect the dots themselves and then get the joke. If they don't have a high reference level, how are you going to get the jokes? Yeah, I get why so much of comedy is written about like relationships or things like that because it's universally understood. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But then again, you don't necessarily want everyone to get your comedy or your joke, I don't think, because then it's almost too diluted. You can't please everybody. There's a theory that you only need one thousand good fans that will support what you put out, fans that will buy your merch, fans that will come out to see your shows, and you can make a living with that. I need 999. Almost there. You're getting that chalk me down. So you're the one. That was kind of one. Okay. All right. <laughs>
Wonderful. I love it. Tell me a little bit about being out of the road and opening. I feel like you guys are doing some pretty big venues. What's yeah. the change? And then and you've only what been doing this, you said, a few years as far as stand-up goes? I've been a stand-up for not counting the pandemic because there wasn't much going on. Three years, three, three and a half years. Oh, brilliant. Starting to see that more and more where I get it, but it takes time to develop your persona, your kind yeah. of view, your voice. I had some people like, oh, it takes 10 years, but I'm seeing people doing it a lot quicker. And I think it's because of the proliferation of the internet and forms like this and a live show and platforms where you can get your stuff out there and let the people decide if it's good or not. Trailer Trash Tammy, she's so new to stand up, but is already killing it. She built this community. And, but yeah. realistically, she hasn't even been doing stand up that long. She's in the first time on stage was the first day of her show, which had been sold out. She had a tour going, sold out the tour. So I had to get up on stage and do stand up and killed it. I feel like a lot of people would be maybe jealous of the fact that you've been doing this technically for three years and you've already found this great. I know. I'm really trying not to tell people that because I don't need more people hating me. Charlie has been an incredible mentor in that regards. I always like to say he cut the line and he's, there's no line anymore. I lived in Los Angeles for 13 years. And one of the reasons I decided to relocate here, other than I don't have the kind of money to buy anything in Los Angeles. That's insane. He made it for himself. He started putting out his own videos and like when his Manitowoc Minute first started catching on he was going to do all these shows just in wisconsin and he was selling them out he's doing like 200 seaters 500 seaters he did a thousand people one time which was crazy in wisconsin dells i think when he started he had 10 minutes of stand-up material and he's like i've got an hour show to do what am i going to do and so we filled it in with videos and different things and he, he made it work the thing with charlie is when he first started he was definitely more and this is no disrespect. He was more of a gimmick than a stand-up. I'll say over the last few years, he is a legit good stand-up comic. He just taped a special and we're on the road. And I was like, that is a solid hour of comedy. That is a really solid hour, really tight, really crisp, really good. You see guys like Trevor Wallace, who also has this giant following, but he was a stand-up as well. Met with an agent, big comedy agent. He was like, one of the things you got to really be mindful of is like too much too soon. Where if you get this giant opportunity, but you can't kill on stage, they may never come see you again. It's a really interesting time to be a stand-up where you don't have to be at the Comedy Cellar in New York or at the Comedy Store or at the Zanies in Chicago or Lab Factory. People are doing it on their own. And a lot of comics who are older, who are allergic to doing social media, they're sort of stuck in the same rut of just trying to get spots here and there. It's just going to lots and lots of open mics and try to build your way that way. It feels like it's not even possible anymore because even when you get good, someone with 10 or 20 times the amount of social media followers are always going to surpass you because being a stand-up comic is basically just how much alcohol can you sell at a show? That's all they see us as is how many tickets can this guy sell? Cause it's a two drink minimum. And how much can we make at alcohol sales? That's all that it is. I think the number I've been told is like at 50,000 followers, either on TikTok or Instagram, or whatever, then clubs will start looking at you to either feature or headline. That's like the first goal. Charlie hit that a long time ago and his career has just skyrocketed, especially during the pandemic. When myself included was not doing enough, he was putting out videos twice a week 
and his numbers grew. I think he gained a million new subscribers or followers during the pandemic. We'll play for a thousand, two thousand people a show. And then I'll be here in Chicago and I'll be begging comics to be on their bar shows where 50 people or 20 people will show up. I definitely got a really big opportunity very quickly. And I think that's one of the reasons why I write every day. I work really hard is because I don't want to blow that opportunity. I've blown plenty of opportunities in the past, not being prepared enough, being good in a room and in a meeting. They're like, all right, audition for this. And then I just did not know what I was doing. That's not the way I try and operate anymore. I hear you, man. That's it. It's that being prepared. It's what it takes and good for you. Are you still, and this is probably a silly question. Are you still producing Charlie's show on the road or now do you guys have another producer and you're just doing stand-up? Not a silly question at all. It's a small operation, so it's all hands on deck. When I first started, I was doing whatever he needed. I was helping write it, the show. I was producing. I was doing things backstage. I was selling merch. He has a merch guy now. Shout out to Dante. Who's probably not watching, but if he is, he just got a shout out. I'm going to tell him to watch because he needs to know that I shouted him out on the show. He's become a very big deal here on Fireside, right? Fireside, that's I right. I say Fire Chat. Fireside Chat. Yes. Work also, but yeah, Fireside. I do whatever is really needed. So I'm not above selling merch, running errands. It is really an all hands on deck approach. So I still do that stuff. There were times where I had, had to sell merch and I was the only one working. There was a ton of people online. And then I have three minutes to gather myself and get on stage. That's the thing is you got to be a team player. My job there is to make Charlie's life easier and whatever he needs. I am very aware that they're there to see him. All this show is centered around him and he pulls his weight as much or more than anybody. It's really good to have moments where you're not completely thinking about yourself. I need some more of those where I'm just, what's in it for me? I try not to always behave that way. <laughs> wonderful. Sounds like you guys have this wonderful, beautiful, dynamic relations. <laughs> I have encouraged that he and I go to couples therapy at some point just for fun. <laughs> yeah. He's not willing. If that ever happens, let me know. I think that needs to be filmed. Now, there's another series. Has Charlie done a special or have you done a special or is this anything that's in the works? Charlie filmed a special in Milwaukee this April. He did three nights at the Riverside Theater. I was not a part of those shows. I was back in California, but I don't know where and when that's going to end up. I'm exactly sure yet. But that, yeah, I know that uh, it, people are going to really like it. And what's the crazy with Charlie is... People who are not even from the Midwest are recognizing him, I think mainly because of YouTube. We just did a show in Honolulu and uh, there were these two 10 year old boys, like maybe they were Polynesian and they were like, are you that guy from YouTube? And he was like, you know me? And they're like, yeah. And we've had like in Baltimore, people recognized him who had no understanding or had no reference to the Midwest. He's definitely grown to become much more of just a local Midwest comic. There are not enough sort of Midwest comedians, not a lot of Midwest comedy people think of us. I'm including Chicago. Man, I said Chicago is this major city, but a lot of the Midwest are like people consider flyover cities or states. For me personally, a more liberalish, moderate city in a red state have the best audiences like Cedar Rapids or Fargo, those have been some of the best crowds ever because it's not just like in LA or New York where it's like 
one of the stops for the night and they're sort of there on their phone. This is an event for them. They have paid the babysitter. They're out for drinks. This is their evening. And that's also one of the reasons I try not to do really dark or offensive or political jokes is I understand like, I want them to come and have a good time. They have sacrificed a lot for the most part to be there tonight. So I want to, I want them to leave and just really have enjoyed the show. And so those cities have just always been really great. People think comedy to red states, only Larry, the cable guy or Jeff Foxworthy, but that's not true at all. There are such great places to play. I never loved the comedy audiences in Los Angeles. They just, I don't know, I've been okay, but unless you're a Jeff Ross or Anthony Jessenick or someone who's headlining or top tier at the store, I don't know. I always thought people just would rather have been somewhere else. You described the LAC comedy scene to a team. Did you leave LA permanently? Did you move out? I'm still back and forth. The reason was I, I had the opportunity to start a cigar company here in Vegas. I met a casino okay. owner who loves cigars and basically wanted somebody to sell them cigars and open up a couple of shops. So I did that. I'm still in the world of acting. More so now, especially after COVID, I really got back into it. Was able to get a manager and an agent, theatrical and commercial and all that. Gustav, uh, Mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have representation in Chicago? I have a really great agent at Stewart Talent. 10 years ago when I could talk a big game, but had nothing to back it up. I got a meeting with them through a friend helping me out. And they're like, yeah, maybe if you move back to Chicago, maybe we can talk again, which was a very polite way of being like, nah, we'll call you. Don't call us. Then through my stand-up tape or whatever, I got a meeting with them and they really wanted me. It was such a weird experience of instead of having to sell yourself, people are like, we love what you're doing and we want to work with you. They've been awesome. They've been so great. I think for a ton of stuff, either Chicago or in the Midwest, I just had an audition yesterday. Yeah, I've been really lucky, but I am on the hunt for a manager who can help get me into some more doors comedy-wise. At the end of the day, what I tell young actors or young people trying to work in this space, always be making things because when I'm making content, my anxiety about my career is at an all-time low because I am more in charge. The thing is, whether this audition I had yesterday, whether I book it or I not, and the chances are so low of you booking things. I'm filming this weekend, new sketch. I'm out doing stuff. That'd be great. But if not, I'm busy. I'm doing my own thing instead of waiting for the phone to ring, which is a really big mistake I made in my career for so long. I think a lot of people are still making that mistake of just waiting for it to happen and waiting to get discovered in your living room. Three months into living in LA, I was auditioning for a movie called Get Up to the Greek through a friend of mine who was producing that movie. And I was a finalist for it. It was a role that came down to me and Aziz. And they went with Aziz. They said Jonah and I were too similar. And we are in some ways, but it was about him working at a music company, like two sort of Jewish guys working in a music company. was a believable, which I think the music company is basically all Jewish guys, probably these incredible acts who usually are Jewish. But I got a manager. I got with Jason Siegel's manager from that, which was incredible. Had all these big auditions. I was a decent improviser, but I was not a good actor. Really insecure about who would know about my sexuality. It just, I just was a basket case about that stuff. And it just went away. Years later, I got with a management company called Three Arts. It has a bunch of huge names and just didn't really hustle and lost that. And then about five years ago is when like my work ethic completely shifted. 
And I just became a hustler and a grinder. Had my work ethic been how it was like now the way 10 years ago, maybe it would have been a different story. It happens when it happens or it doesn't, but I'm super blessed. I've also gotten to perform with these two amazing comedians, JT and Chad. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They have a show on Netflix coming out, being produced by Tim and Eric this August. They're like the surfer bros who will go to local town hall meetings and talk about small dawn awareness mob. I would see them at LA open mics and they were the most enjoyable people to watch, even in a mic. They were just so fun to watch and we became friendly and I've opened for them a little bit. That's been such a blast. They're the nicest, greatest guys. And I'm so happy for their success. They've completely blown up over the past year. They got this huge Netflix show coming out. Their podcast going deep is doing really well. Again, two guys who quote unquote cut the line and are doing it themselves now and are making really funny content and are just really good dudes, which is just a blessing that I got to open. We're doing some shows in Michigan and that was, it was such a blast and hopefully I'll get to collaborate some more. It's writing a lot of people's coattails, Paul. It's the way to do it. I, I, you know what? It sounds like it, but you're bringing something. Trust me, you're bringing something to the game because if you weren't, they wouldn't have you around. It, it's almost the world needs, uh, Pardon the way I'm saying this, but the straight man, you need the guy that's on the straight and narrow. Yeah. People can bounce ideas off of you and you can make them better. I can see you as somebody that might punch up other people's material and things like that. I don't know if that's true or not. I was lucky that I had been a comedy writer for a long time before I was doing stand up. I'd become a much better writer since doing it because I'm doing it all the time. Like the movie Purpose of a Prison, I was a joke writer on that. I've been writing jokes for a long time on, on stuff. It's uh, definitely when people bounce ideas by me or things like that. I love collaborating and finding when the joke finally hits. It's a really great feeling. It's like building a puzzle and when the pieces all connect, it's great. Purpose Wonderful. over prison. Is that where you met Tijuana? Tijuana Jackson. Anthony Malco has an alter ego named Tijuana Jackson, ex-convict turned motivational speaker. So of course. A suburban white gay Jew would be the perfect person to write that movie with. Romney, he's the smartest, spiritually deep man I think I've ever known. He's a visionary of a human being. He started this on YouTube or Funny or Die way before people were doing this. And he built this following. He did this movie. It won a bunch of different awards on the circuit festival. People can rent it on Amazon or iTunes, all that stuff. He's doing these real financial courses as his character. He's a Renaissance man. He knows something about everything. Really savvy financially. He was running really successful companies before he was an actor. I've learned so much from him. I've helped with his courses and stuff like that. There's been talk about doing a Tijuana Jackson series. He's very tied up with a million little things. I think they're doing one more season on ABC. And he's got a family that he's a really present father for. He's a nomad. I've known him for a decade. And I, I swear to you, he's lived in like 10 or 12 different cities. Puerto Rico. He's lived in New York, Los Angeles. He's in Vancouver now, Florida. He's just always all over the world. He's an amazing guy. I hope that you and I maybe get to collaborate on something Absolutely. in the future. I love sketch. I love improv. I think comedy is what's uh, sorely needed in the world, especially today. It's nice to work with other people from the Midwest, especially with a yeah. background. Who was on the main stage when you were at Second City? 
that would have been at first, and then they either had just left or were still on there. People like Kevin Dorf, yeah, Tammy Sager, Rachel Dratch. I think Tina Fey had just left. Yeah, I, yeah, she had already left. Amy Poehler was maybe either on there or just leaving. I had also maybe then made her move to New York for Upright Citizens Brigade. Rich Tellerico, who wrote for Matt TV and Saturday Night Live, and I remained friends. Craig Kakowski yeah. was on the main stage when I was there. Horatio Sands was on ETC and then went to SNL. I went to his first show. He was nice enough to invite me and a few people to visit New York and go see his first show where I met Cameron Diaz. She was the host and Smashing Pumpkins oh. with a band. It was, uh, it was amazing. It's a movie with Horatio Sands a bunch of years ago called Year One. Yeah. Towards the end of college, I was introduced to Harold Ramis. I was his intern and he became a really dear friend of mine. I miss him every day. He said to me like, yeah, if I, we make this movie year one, I'll put you in it. And he did. I was at Second City at the time and nobody was coming to our shows. And all of a sudden I'm in New Mexico working with Jack Black and Michael Sarah. and Olivia Wilde wasn't there. Juno Temple was there. And oh man, my gosh, I'm blanking on her name now. June Rayfield was part of it too. Super, super nice. That was such a great experience. Harold, he really walked on water, man. He was the greatest human being ever. I have these mentors like Harold Ramis and Romney Melko and Charlie. I've just been really blessed and all these amazing people. Harold, definitely just gone too soon. People always say, don't meet your heroes. But if Harold Ramis was your hero, you wanted to meet the guy. He was everything you thought he'd be and more. The most gentle, kind, no ego. Just the greatest. He really was. I met him when at Del Close's yeah. going away party. If you look. I've seen the video of that. I'm in it. I'm at the end. I look much younger, obviously. I think I had long hair. Did I? I, I don't remember. In the documentary for Mad Men Only, they show that video. And I'm in the last scene. I'm like, I should have at least gotten credit for that. But yeah, that's when I first met Harold Ramis. And Bill Murray was there. It was a beautiful ceremony for Dell. And a couple of days later, he was gone. Brian Stack, I've known Brian a really long time. He's like the nicest guy. My mom is a Broadway musical producer and lives in Chicago. She's been working in New York, going back and forth for two decades now. Whenever we go, I'd go to Conan. And then when Conan was doing The Tonight Show, he'd always invite us backstage. Norm Holly, who was the yeah. director of the Second City Training Center. I don't know if is he still. That I don't know. I don't believe so. I don't think he's either. He had this hilarious story about how Brian was like nice to a fault. He'd be like, "Yeah, sit in a room talking about how horrible Adolf Hitler was," and then like, it could Brian stack, and he'd be like, "I didn't know the guy, so I just I don't want to say anything bad about him. I didn't know him." Almost at first thing, he's making fun of you. And then you're like, oh no, he is like that kind. I remember when I was finishing college, I was in New York. And on his day off from working at Conan, he met me at 30 Rock in his office to talk about comedy for two hours. Just the sweetest guy ever. He really is. He was on the main stage as well. I'm sorry, I forgot Brian Stack on the main stage when I was there. And then soon went to Conan. And then the story goes... Kevin went to New York because I ran into him when I went to Saturday Night Live to see Horatio's show. Kevin went to New York and Brian was showing him around the offices. And then he goes, here you go, buddy. If you want, this is your desk. And Kevin was like, wait, what? He goes, yeah, if you want to work, here's your desk. And that's how he told Kevin he was hired at Conan. I ran into him years later, probably like mid-2000s in L.A., 
And I was like, hey, Brian, I'm he goes, Hey, Paul, how are you, buddy? I was like, what? Like, how does he even remember my name? I wouldn't doubt. I don't want to put it on him, but I wouldn't doubt that if I ran into him today, and I wouldn't be upset if he wasn't, but I wouldn't doubt that he'd go, hey, Paul, how are you? The memory on this guy, but the nicest man, I think, that you could ever be. Yeah, that's you really hated I think he's been at Colbert for a long time now and back in New York. Whenever I get to New York, I always try and hit him up just to say hello if I can. Yeah, he's a total mensch. That's the definition of what Brian Stack is. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you changed your work ethic. Yeah, yeah man. I'm so glad because all these connections that you've made, you've made them. You deserve all the success that's come your way and that is coming your way, buddy. You know, we're from the Midwest. So we have this work ethic. I know. Yeah. Midwest is best. Chicago in the summertime. It's so special, man. It's home. You have a Cubs thing going on back there? I do. I just put photos up that are important to my life. I have this whole shrine. I don't know if you can see oh. two of the Cubs. Yeah. I love it. We won the World Series. What's that? Did you hear that the Cubs won the World Series? When? 2016. And I have everything, anything that says World Series Cubs, I own. If they made Tampax World Series Cubs, I would just have it. You never know. You, you never know. One day I've got a story for you of how I was almost in a Tampax commercial. Can you imagine my face on your box of Tampax? I cried. That's a great pickup line for a woman at a bar. Can you imagine my face on your box? Of Tampax? No, just box. Just box? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I was sitting at the D Casino in Vegas. And when they won, I was tearing up and people were like, are you crying? And I'm like, I'm not, there's dust in the air. I don't know what's going on. It was such an emotional moment that we got to see it in our lifetime and experience it. Man, it was a very special moment. Were you in LA when that happened? I flew back for the games and they lost game three. And I was like, I can't go anymore. So I gave them my tickets. And then after they won game five, I flew back to LA. And I watched game six and seven alone. Game seven, I was like, I was a certifiable crazy person. I never, ever want to be that invested in a game like that ever again. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't cry after they won. I honestly thought I was going to pass out. It was just too much. But no, thank I, God they did win. I teared up. Couldn't help it. I, it wasn't. No, I wish I would have. It would have been great. It was really special. It was an amazing time. Yeah, it was so cool. I could talk for hours about the Cubs. People ask me what my backup plan is if comedy doesn't work. And it's to own the Cubs. So no, I'm not a delusional person at all. I am a diehard baseball fan. Like Field of Dreams. I don't know if it's my favorite movie of all time, but it, it does things to me that other movies can't do. And not only do I like follow the Cubs, but I like all their minor league teams. I know what's going on. And this is just a very roundabout way of saying I am very single. <laughs> I almost said ladies. No, right? I mean, people are like, we dropped on your head as a kid. And I actually was. My dad dropped me down an escalator when I was two at the Miami airport. That might be it. I'm serious. <laughs> you think, wait. That's what turned you gay? I think that's not what turned me gay, but that's what like made me like, like too hetero, like gay, but with too many hetero interests and tendencies. I know it's just this weird mix. Now, on a serious note, like I do think that I have a distinctive voice because there's so much of gay comedy is like, I'm not knocking it, but I'm saying so much of gay comedy is like queer performance art that's very targeted to a very niche gay audience. 
There's guys like Mateo Lane, who's a very popular comic. He's a Chicago guy. He's one of the biggest, I'd say, gay comics going right now. I always thought of myself, and I could be totally wrong, but like more of a gay comic for a straight audience. I don't know if that changes or not, but there aren't, in terms of like gay male stand-ups, there aren't a lot of guys who talk about what I talk about, which I think is great because I get to carve that niche. Oh yeah, he's the, he's that guy. Especially in the last three, four months, when I first started making content, I made another, I don't know if it's a mistake, but I was like, Charlie was like, you got to focus on the Jewish and the gay, the Jewish and the gay. No, I want to be universally understood on this. And again, he was right. I'm contractually obligated to say he was right in public. I have to say that. Over the last few months, I've really focused on Jewish content or gay content. And then I'm mixing in other things too. I have seen my following grow a bunch. I'm very popular with gay bears, which are big, burly gay men, which is very flattering. Maybe I'll just have a show with lots of gay bears. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds the more you niche down though, the more universal you become. I think totally is. And Charlie is the textbook example of really focusing on Wisconsin. And then he sort of branched out to Midwest and now he's branched out to more universal like cities and states like bordering Midwest and outside of it and bringing in again, Bill Doucette, who's from Boston, dude, dad. Who's in Colorado? He's done stuff with Trevor Wallace in California. He's branching out a lot more. At least let's use this platform for good. Yeah. What's your ideal partner? What's your ideal guy, man? Oh, this has become Tinder now. A grinder, but yeah. Grinder. Yeah. I am definitely more of a romantic sort of old fashioned. I might describe it as vanilla, but I don't know. Someone who wants to settle down and have kids and have a boring family, I'd say mid twenties, mid thirties, who doesn't have to love baseball, but they can't hate it or all sports. I'm a diehard sports fan. I always thought like a school teacher would be like a great type of partner for me. Definitely not someone in the entertainment business. No way am I doing that. One of the reasons I actually moved back to Chicago was I just wasn't connecting with the dating scene in LA as much. And I just thought like people in Chicago, Midwest are more my speed. Yeah. If someone's looking for a nice Jewish boy, they can find me on social media. There you go. Just reach out. I love that you said we're going to do something for good. Do you want to plug a charity? Technically me talking about my dating life is charity. So we actually did kill two birds with one stone. Fine, fine, fine. Do you want to plug a, a gay charity? No, I'm kidding. You want to plug a <laughs> Do you want to plug anything? The Anaglossal Foundation. Final thoughts and anything that you'd like to promote, give out your social media, which I put into the fortune cookie, which is right below us. People, I can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, ASAP Rocky, which is just a really fun play on ASAP Rocky that seven people understand. But yeah, find me there. I'm on tour with Charlie this summer. We're going to be all over Illinois and Wisconsin. I think we'll be in Ohio in August, just doing shows that way. If you want to book me for some comedy, look me up and let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. That's wonderful. Andrew, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for taking time. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. Likewise. It's been such a pleasure. I'm glad to see more and more people from the Chicagoland area. It makes me miss home and I want to come out for a visit and I definitely want to come out and support your shows. Yes, thank you. Giordano's on me, whatever you want. It. Giordano's. Oh, come on. Maybe we'll get some Italian beefs. Oh, my friend. Some like, beef and sausage, some peppers. 
We're blessed. We're from Chicago. We're wearing our accent. All right. If anyone's in here, please, a round of applause for Mr. Andrew Rothy. No, please. No, please. Wonderful, wonderful, Andrew. Thank you. And let's connect again. I would love to do this again and promote any of your new projects. So thanks again for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Thank you so much.